Lord, we thank you that we can come to you, uh, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is omniscient, know all things, you're all powerful, you're everywhere present. We thank you that you know our needs as we come to you. And so we ask you to look upon us with compassion and mercy. Remember us, Lord, we're weak and often confused. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for your spirit who works with the word to show us Christ. We pray that you would now uh, conform us to his image. Uh, help us to understand your word. Give us hearts that want to respond to you. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Sophia is our uh, newest granddaughter, and we saw her just about a week after she was born. Um, we did what grandparents do um, in that kind of situation. We ood and odd. We took pictures. We held the baby. We worked. We burped the baby. We changed the baby. And then, as a little after a little time had passed, we went through the that routine again. Newborns need that kind of care, don't they? But suppose Sophia were to remain an infant. How sad, disappointed we would be. We want her to grow up to reach her full potential. Uh, sadly, millions of adults continue in emotional, relational, and spiritual infancy. Uh, many people, churched or unchurched, remain as they were spiritual infants, and by that I mean preoccupied with themselves, their felt needs, their wants, their agendas, their goals. Uh, that, guy, that God might have some kind of greater vision than their own preoccupation uh, somehow gets lost in the weeds either uh, of their own insecurity or their self-importance. And below the surface is this unspoken attitude, I'm the center of the world. Life revolves around me, my needs. I need, I want, I've got to get it. Whether we are seven days old, as Sophia was, or 70 years old, or someplace in between, um, we are challenged by the Bible to grow to maturity. That's the call of the gospel. Grow up. Don't live like a baby. And so today's theme is really a challenge to self-centered living. It's also an encouragement. It's an, in, it's an invitation. It's this kind of word. Let the gospel move in your life. Submit to the gospel. Let it shape your decisions, your priorities. So we're looking at the passage that Bill just read, uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 11. If you have a Bible and can turn to it, Acts 16, verses 1 to 11. Understandably, this is a bridge between Paul's first missionary journey and his second. And Luke gives us a powerful example 
of other-centered living here, he focuses our attention on Paul as a model of maturity. And lest you get nervous and think, oh no, we don't want to look at people, we want to look at Jesus, let's remember Paul's words. He said, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. So how does the gospel change self-centered, immature people? Well, let's look at this leader, and what we'll see is that mature Christians take the initiative, first of all, to be with those that are less mature. And mature Christians seek to bless local congregations. And mature followers of Jesus perceive and embrace God's kindness. And then finally, mature followers of Jesus embrace God's providence. So that's where we're going. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you might ask yourself the question as we move down through these verses, to what extent does my life match Paul's for maturity? Uh, to what extent does my life match Jesus after, who, after whom Paul patterned his life? So please look with me at verses 1 through 4. Where do we begin? Well, with this idea. A mature follower of Jesus takes initiative to be with those who are less mature. Mature follower takes initiative to be with those who are less mature. Luke uh, is tracing now Paul's journey, and Paul and Silas are, well, we might see them, walking down a dusty road into the environs of Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. And there they come upon Timothy, verse 1. And other believers think well of him, verse 2. Paul is following the Lord's directive. Remember back in chapter 13, verses 1 to 4? The Lord had said to him, I want you to go and do the work to which I've called you. And so Paul, trusting in Christ, follows Jesus' will, and he is now on the road again. And so now notice verse 3. What does he do in relationship to Timothy? He deepens his relationship. He, he deepens his interaction with him. Um, whatever attracted Paul to Timothy, and we're not sure, maybe it was because the church, the churches nearby had a good report of him. Whatever it was, Paul wants Timothy on his team. See it there at the beginning of verse 3? And so he now takes steps to prepare and equip Timothy to serve the Lord. We read, Paul took him and circumcised him. You wouldn't necessarily think that that was an equipping kind of activity. But it was. Timothy's problem his mother is Jewish, his father is not. And we're told that there were Jews in those places who all knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. Well, so what? 
The Jerusalem Council had charged Paul with visiting new churches. He was to review the gospel with them and assure them that God has created one church out of many different people groups, specifically one church out of Jew and Gentile. And Jew and Gentile and you can have new life through Jesus Christ. That meant that Gentiles didn't have to adopt Jewish practices to follow Jesus. But circumcision was a very important right for Jewish people. It dated all the way back to Abraham, you remember. God gave him circumcision as a sign. Jews treasured that as part of their ancestry, part of their ethnicity. It separated them from what they considered to be unclean Gentiles. And in Timothy's uncircumcised state, he would have been an offense to upstanding Jewish people. That seems to be the inference of verse 3. The Jews in those places all knew that his father was a Greek. And so Paul wants everybody he can to hear the gospel and believe the gospel, and so he circumcises Timothy. The idea is to render moot any debate over his lineage. It would make Timothy a more effective team member. Now there's one more step for a mature Christian, and it's right there at the beginning of verse 4. Paul actually gives Timothy an opportunity to serve. They went their way, we're told. They're a team. They're on the same page. They're serving the Lord together. As far as the Lord is concerned, there's something better than being an isolated Christian that is working in concert with other believers. Can you think of any implications from what we've seen so far? Well, I've already said one. Christian life is not a solo sport. It's all about cultivating relationships. And so Paul invests in Timothy out of deference for those that Paul wants to serve. Or we could say it this way. For Paul, uh, his ministry is hardly about what he wants, and it's certainly not about what makes Timothy most comfortable. Both of them flex. They adapt. They bend for the sake of God's agenda, that is, serving those who need the good news. Now, that is a principle that runs through the Bible from beginning to end. It's basic. It's pervasive. God enters a sinful world. Remember, back in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve have sinned, what happens? We are told that they heard the sound of God walking in the garden and the cool of the day. And God said, Adam, where are you? What does eternal God do? He enters a sinful world to seek out Adam and Eve in their sin. He bends for their sake because he wants to save all his people from their sins. And then fast forward to the New Testament. 
What do we see in the coming of Christ? He bends. He leaves heaven to come to earth to suffer and to die on the cross to save us from our sins. And the principle that's in front of us here, the way Paul deals with Timothy and this second missionary journey, the principle that's before us is God's guideline for your life too. Bending, flexing, being adaptable so that people can hear the gospel. You say, where? How about Philippians chapter 2? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in human likeness, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So in what ways do you bend to make it easy for people to get the gospel? Or, think about it from the other side, in what ways do your demands make it difficult for people to be drawn to Jesus? Lifestyle choices, dearly held values, theological opinions, political con convictions. This is certainly an individual challenge, but it's not simply an individual challenge. Churches can also create barriers to the gospel. What? Yes, it's true. A friend of mine serves in the area of church revitalization. And uh, there are congregations that can end up in a mess very quickly and on the verge of closing their doors. And so here's one of the questions that the church revitalization people ask of congregations in that kind of situation. What am I willing to give up or allow to happen in my usual church experience so that someone in our target area will be able to hear and receive the gospel? John Newton talked about Paul this way. He said that he was like a reed that can withstand the wind when it's blowing, when it came to non-essentials. And he was like a pillar of iron when it came to essentials. And we see in this passage Paul's maturity bending to make it easy so that his audience can get the gospel. Besides taking initiative to be with less mature believers, those that are mature move to bless existing congregations. They bless existing congregations. Please look at verses 4 and 5. Now, we noted last week that Paul and... Uh, we, we noted 
last week that leaders are visitors. And here, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are on the move now. They're going to people. They're not waiting for congregations to come to them to report. And so what do they do? Verse 4, they encourage followers by sharing the basics of the Christian life. Right there, it, we read, they delivered to them the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Now, let's remember, Paul and Silas are visiting newly formed congregations that are filled with baby Christians. And their need, they need the basics of the Christian life. And so these decisions could be translated, they gave to them the teachings uh, on which the elders and the apostles had decided. If you remember, back in chapter 15, verse 9, the Lord, uh, the, the Jerusalem Council makes this decision. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And sh so they write a short letter. You can read it there in 15, verses 28 and 29. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no burden on you than these few requirements. Abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do these things, you do well, farewell. That's it. Trust in Jesus. Don't eat foods that would offend Jews. Be sexually pure. And then there's one more word of encouragement that we find here. These leaders remind baby Christians that they are not alone. Look again at verse 4. They delivered the decisions the apostles and elders in Jerusalem had reached. You're in Derby, Iconium, Lystra, but you're not alone. You're connected to the church back in Jerusalem and to all of God's people who are going to hear this letter read. And you see, the gospel really does make a difference. It's for needy sinners like you and me. The Lord uses the personal attention Paul and Silas and Timothy can give, along with an explanation of his word, to strengthen the churches and bless them so that they grow, we're told, every day. Because the gospel is about relationships, you are designed to find your place and to take your place among others who are walking with the Lord. And so, in relation to Jesus, there's a place for you among his people. Mature believers take initiative to connect with those that are less mature. Mature Christians bless existing congregations. There's another way, though, that we see Paul's maturity expressed here. The Lord enables leaders to perceive and to embrace God's guidance. The Lord enables leaders to perceive and embrace God's guidance. We're looking now at verses 6 through 9. Before we look at those verses, though, let's just talk about the idea of guidance. What? Does that mean? 
The Lord says to his people, I'm going to guide you with my eye. You don't have to think about moving into an unknown future all by yourself because I'm going to be with you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, seek to make him known, and he will direct your path. The Lord guides his people. But the question is, how do I figure out what the Lord wants to know, wants me to do? He's up there. He doesn't give me a letter. What am I supposed to do? How do I read the tea leaves of life? Look at verses 6 and 7 first. They went through Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Sometimes mature Christians have to change their plans for the sake of Christ, and that's what we see happening here with Paul and his team. Now, we don't know how the Lord communicated these changes to them. Doesn't make it, the Bible doesn't tell us. But as soon as they saw the do not enter sign, Paul took that as God's directive. Now look at verses 10 and 11, or 9 and 10. Passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man from Macedonia saying, standing there urging them, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit unexpectedly opens attractive doors for ministry here. Can you see it? He keeps them from going to some places and shows them other places to go. So let's just review. The gospel shapes us as leaders connect with qualified followers, as leaders bless existing congregations, and as those who are more mature perceive and embrace God's guidance. There is one more way that the gospel shapes the lives of those that follow Jesus. And again, it's in verses 10 and 11. The Lord moves mature leaders to welcome God's providence confident that he has opportunities through them for unreached peoples. Okay, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they have been mostly focused on existing churches, but God certainly has a wider vision. He is going to, in fact, save representatives from every people group around the world and every segment of society. Paul has been in what is present-day Turkey. But the Lord also cares about Europe. And so he gives Paul this vision, a man from Macedonia, that is from Greece. And he says, please come and help us. Having been turned away from Asia and Mysia, look at verse 10. 
immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Seems like a very flat sentence. There's not much there. So let's pick it apart a little bit. Paul takes this vision as God's personal directive. God had called us. It's an opportunity to make Christ known. That is, God has called us to preach the gospel. And he has no question about his target audience. That is, God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So here it is. An open door among previously unreached Gentiles in Macedonia. And personal to Paul. So the gospel shapes leaders to connect with qualified followers, bless existing congregations, perceive and embrace God's guidance, and welcome God's providence as filled with opportunities. Let me just pause here. Think about the last time you really, really, really wanted to do something and bumped into a stone wall. Did it occur to you that God was placing before you in that hard providence an opportunity to serve him? Or did you just kick the dog on the way out the door? Let's just pause here now. What is the gospel? We've talked about it, but we haven't identified it very clearly. And I want to do that before we're done today. What's the gospel? Well, there are a number of places that we get little snippets of explanation throughout the Bible. Listen to these verses. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Acts 16, 31. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but has, as his present possession, eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 16. Getting the gospel is not merely an intellectual pursuit. It's not like a checklist where we say, oh, okay, got it. Uh, Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross. It's not just that. It includes that, but it's not just that. It includes this other important part of active trust. So let me try to illustrate it. When our kids were little, in the summertime, we had, we'd go to a friend's pool, and the three of them would line up on the edge of the pool, and I would say, okay, Debbie, jump to me, and I'm like, you know, a foot off the edge of the pool, and she would and I would splash her in the water, and I'd put her back. Okay, Aaron, jump to me. Okay, Sarah, jump to me. And we'd do that. And then, after they'd been through that exercise, then I would step back a little bit farther. 
And before long, I may be six, eight feet out, and they're throwing themselves out into the pool. Uh, trusting that I'm going to catch them. They aren't going under. That gives us a little idea of what saving faith is like. It's a moment by moment entrusting of ourselves to Jesus who promises, if you come to me, I will not only save you, but I will also direct you in the very best path. And so there's this moment by moment trust in Christ that's something quite different from simply intellectual assent. Um, some of you are familiar with Francis Schaeffer. He went through a crisis in his life where he stepped back from ministry and just paced back and forth in the attic of, in, in Labrie. You know what he was struggling with? Why is it that I don't seem to be very connected to the Lord? And he came to this conclusion. My life was marked by cold, he uses that term, cold orthodoxy, without moment by moment trust in Christ. The gospel is about what Jesus did to die on the cross to pay for all our sins, and it's about entrusting ourselves to him to take care of us moment by moment by moment. Uh, trust in Christ is kind of like breathing. You didn't get up this morning and say, well, I better get my air in for the day. No, you're still getting your air in for the day, aren't you? Every so often. That's the way it is with faith in Christ. And so we go into an unknown future and we go into it with confidence, not because we have it together, but because Jesus has it together. And he's going to direct us where he wants us to be. And so the call of these verses is really grow up, grow up. Don't be a spiritual baby. And here are some steps that you might take to move in that direction. Ask the Lord this week to help you. Connect with those that you consider to be less mature than yourself with a view to helping them. Bless the church of which you're a part. Watch for and embrace God's guidance in your life, especially when it seems like he's messing up your plans. And last, welcome God's providence as giving you opportunities that you would never otherwise have. Spurgeon once wrote this. What was the best help that Paul could give to the Macedonians? Preach the gospel to them. What's the best help that we can give to people socially? To help them religiously. Seems like a disconnect. What's the best help that we can give people religiously? Preach the gospel to them. Believe the gospel for yourself. Give the gospel wherever the Lord leads you. His word to you today is grow up spiritually. Lord, bless your word to us, we pray. Help us to be examples of the believer in word and deed. Work in our hearts by your spirit. Draw us to yourself. Help us to be soft and sensitive, we pray.
We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen.